excited to talk to you this morning about uh, fasting. And as you know, we begin our church fast today. And so there's, uh, you know, mixed feelings probably that you have about that because fasting is not really meant to be something that you just get excited about. You know, when you hear that word, fasting is not really designed to just cause like joy to bubble up because it's not necessarily a fun thing. We don't do it because it's fun. We do it because it's productive and it gets results. That's why we do it. There's a lot of things in life like that, right? A lot of things in life that you do not because they're fun, but because they're good for you and because they're healthy and because you see the, the results in it. And that's why we fast. Now, because of the results that I, that I typically get from fasting, I have come to enjoy it. I have come to enjoy the discipline of it the structure of it, and if you're anything like me, typically by the time you get through the holidays, time you get through Christmas and New Year, you're kind of at that point where you're ready to get a little bit of discipline back in your life. You're just tired of being a slob, you know, whatever. You want to kind of get things back in order. Uh, if you like to pray, you, you, you get on a discipline and a schedule with prayer. If you like to eat right, if you like to exercise, that's the time of the year that a lot of times people would do this anyway. Um, but this is not a New Year's resolution. That's not why we fast. We fast to get closer to God. We fast so that we can hear from God. We, we, we fast not so much to change God, but to change us. As we fast, we, we are putting ourselves in a place where we can hear from God, we can get close to God, we can see things uh, about ourselves and, 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 and from the Word of God. And fasting has, uh, it's like magic almost in how it works and how it can do that. Now, fasting, I will say, it's, it's basically, you know, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. So everybody's not going to get the same result from fasting. I can already tell you that because everybody's not going to do it the same. And there are some people that they prepare for this time of year. They've, they've been with us for long enough to know that we're going to do it. And so they, they prepare their mind and they know the fast is coming up. And they look forward to it, and they prepare themselves for it, and so and they take it very serious, and they get a lot out of it. And there are other people that is kind of an afterthought. You maybe this is the first time you're hearing about it or thinking about it this morning, and you go, "Oh yeah, I'll probably do a little bit of that." Well, you may get something out of it, but you're going to get out of it what you put into it, as it is a lot of things with God. You're going to get out of your prayer life what you put into it. You're going to get out of your Bible reading what you put into it. You know, if people say. Well, I, I tried the prayer and the Bible reading thing, and I didn't really get very much out of it. Well, you, you probably didn't put into it the way you needed to. Because uh, a lot of things in life that if you just try it for a day or two and then you give up because you're bored, well, you're just not going to get a lot out of it. And again, there's a lot of things in life like that. Actually, your relationship with God, uh, it progresses and it increases, and the true power in it is in the consistency over a long period of time. Well, I tried to go to church. You know, I see people come to church and they drop off. They come to church, they drop off. And then they try this church and they move around and they, they try the Christian thing. And then they're in the world for six months and they repent and they come back. Listen, God loves you uh, and you're always welcome. But you're not going to see the same results as somebody who gets planted and they, they give themselves to God and they give themselves to the Word consistently year after year after year, they're going to see different results than you. And that's not because God loves them more than you. It's because they're doing something different than what you're doing. And they're putting, they're putting effort into it. So the fast is that way. It matters what you put into it. Okay, so 
during the fast, the things that, uh, that I like to do are uh, mainly focused around my time, how I spend my time. And even food, if you look back to the Old Testament in that period of time, even food would have had a lot to do with time, right? Because if you didn't have a refrigerator and you didn't have a pantry full of uh, pre-made Nabisco treats, you know, that you could just go in there and grab, making a meal was an ordeal, you know, just building a fire. Maybe you had to clean something. Maybe you had to catch something. Maybe you had to kill something. You know, maybe there's some salt pork somewhere laying around. But, I mean, making a meal was an ordeal. And time you finish preparing that meal and getting that ready, guess what? Lunch was right around the corner. <laughs> and then after that, dinner. And, I mean, you could spend your whole time cooking. So the, one of the ideas of fasting, actually, ha even though it, we think about fasting with food, really even the food part has a lot to do with time or had to do with time, because you're taking something that you would spend a lot of time on, and you're giving basically no time to it so that you can give that time to God. So where you would spend a lot of time preparing meals, preparing food, you know, you're just maybe eating a little bit of bread, a little bit of water, and then moving on so that you can give that time to God. And it's the same thing now. So the point of fasting is to dedicate more time to God than you typically would. Now I want to read again to you out of Deut Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. It says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply. Now I, this phrase that he says, careful to do, a lot of people who follow the Lord are not in fact careful to do the things that he said. They know about the things he said. They know generically a few things that the Bible says. Uh, they, they may know, I think the Bible says this somewhere. I think a Sunday school teacher told me this one time. Or I, doesn't the Bible say this? You know, they'll ask. That's not the same thing as being careful to do, right? If I said to you this morning, now listen, I have a million dollars I'm going to give you at the end of the service, every one of you, but I need you to be very careful to do every single thing that I say. I'm going to give you a set of about 12 instructions, and I need you to be careful to do every single thing that I do. The whole atmosphere in the room would change. It almost changed just now because everybody, yeah, because you go, careful to do. All right, if, if you mess up on one thing, you're not going to get it. Now, that, now you're going to be careful to do. And this is what, but people don't treat the commandments of God like that. And sometimes I wonder if it's because... In the New Testament, you know, we think, well, we're under grace and there's mercy. Yeah, but Paul said don't abuse the grace and mercy of God. And, and it doesn't negate the importance of the, the, the rules and the laws of God. Yeah, he, he might not be sending you to hell for them, but how many of you know they're still important? It's still important to obey what God said and be careful to do. And if you do, and you are careful to do, you're going to see different results than someone who's not careful to do. And you see this all throughout the Bible. You see this all throughout the New Testament. Uh, in Hebrews, the Bible says that those who come to God, uh, uh, they, those who seek the Lord diligently shall be rewarded. Well, seeking the Lord diligently is different than seeking Him half-heartedly. So a person who seeks Him half-heartedly isn't going to get the same thing as a person who seeks Him diligently. If you seek Him half-heartedly during the fast you're going to see those kinds of results. If you seek Him diligently during the fast, you're going to see those kinds of results. Because this is what I know. God is not unfair. 
God is not unjust. God's never cheated anyone. God's never done wrong by anyone. So anytime somebody comes to me and they go, well, I tried this or that or the other, and I go, okay, either, either God's wrong or you're wrong. And I've already made my decision on that. I've been doing this for a little while, and whenever I hear somebody come and complain, well, I try to read my Bible. I, oh, so you're different than everybody else. Like, Bible reading, you're the only person on the planet that Bible reading and prayer doesn't work for. No, it works for everyone. But the Bible said that for those who diligently seek Him. How many times did we read in Scripture where God said, if you seek me with all of your heart, then you will find me? Well, what if you seek Him with half of your heart? you might get a different result. He didn't say if you seek me with half of your heart. No, he said if you seek me with all of your heart, then you will find. So I'm telling you that because sometimes as people have that attitude about prayer and fasting. Oh, yeah, I did the prayer and fasting a few years ago. And, man, all I did, I was just hungry the whole time. And I didn't really pray. I didn't really get much out of it. Well, if you didn't get anything out of it, trust me, it was on your end, not on God's end. Because God's the one who came up with prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is a tool that God gave us to, to push past the barrier of our flesh and be able to access spirit to spirit the God of the universe. Prayer and fasting is something God came up with. Why? Because He likes to see us in torment? He likes to see you hungry with a headache? Complaining? <laughs> aggravated? Irritable? God just enjoys seeing that? No, he knows something that it works in you. So when we belittle it or we say, or we uh, minimize it and we go, well, prayer and fasting, I've tried that. And yeah, I'll do a little bit here and there. You know, it's basically like be like a little diet, you know, at the beginning of the year. Well, yeah, you're not going to get that much out of it. And prayer and fasting, the point of prayer and fasting is not to uh, torture yourself and just to see how much difficulty and pain and, you know, how strong-willed you are and how disciplined you can be. None of that is the point. The point of it is to draw close to God. And you create parameters and you create things in your life that help you do that and that, that create that environment for you to do that. Okay, so Deuteronomy 8.1, the whole commandment that I command you today he said, you shall be careful to do, careful, meticulous to do. Why? That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. In other words, don't forget. Don't forget the lessons that you learned in the wilderness. It's very easy to forget. Once, when we're in a time of difficulty and pain, it's so real to us, it's so alive, it just feels like it's never going to end. But then once, it's, once it does end, how quickly we forget. How quickly we forget not only the pain, but also the lessons. So he said, don't forget the lessons that you learn in the 40 years of the wilderness. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? That He might humble you. You need that. We need that. We need to be humbled. Also, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. He humbled you and He let you hunger and He fed you with manna, 
which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And I'll say this, spiritual food, in my opinion, spiritual food is more important than physical food. Why? That's not, I'm not just saying that. I really believe that. Spiritual food is more important than physical food. Why? Because if you stop eating physical food, your physical body is going to die. And that's, and that's temporal. And it's going to go in the ground. And it's going to turn to dust. But your spirit, what you feed your spirit, and what happens with your spirit while it's on this planet is going to determine where you spend eternity. And that is infinitely more important than physical bread. Your body... It is important, but it's not that important because it's temporary. Your spirit, on the other hand, is never going to die. Your spirit, when your body dies, your spirit is leaving, your body is leaving this planet, and it is going into eternity. And it's either going to be with God in heaven forever, or it's going to be separated from God in hell forever. So this is why he said, I, I put you through this because I was trying to get you to understand a lesson that man... Okay, what man is, what human being is, what a human being is, is more than his physical body. Now, you know how many people living on the planet don't, even, don't understand that? They live every day. I, I, I've, I've kind of talked about this one time in another sermon, about all the great lengths that people are going through right now to try to preserve the physical body. Some of the richest people on the planet, some of the biggest billionaires, they're seeking ways of, of how to live forever or at least extend the, extend the physical body's life as long as they possibly can. Why? Because you, at some point you realize, I've got billions of dollars, but I'm still going to die. And I only have, at this point, I may only have 40 years left. They're looking at their life going, Man, I, only, I may only have 40 years left. And so they're looking at their life and they're going, how do I how do I continue living? How do I live forever? How do I extend my life? And so they're focused on that. But how many of you know that's not the main thing? Okay. If man, which he will not, but if man ever figures out a way to live forever, that's not going to be the, the main thing because you could figure out how to live forever, but you could still fall in a swimming pool and drown. If you decide, to, if, you figure, if man figures out how to live 5,000 years, he's still going to be dying at around 100 because he just makes mistakes. And he's going to get hit by a car or he's going to fall out of a tree or sh shoot himself with a gun or something is going to happen. You can figure out how to live forever, but you can't protect yourself from accidents. That's still going to happen. And when that does, your spirit is leaving your body and it's going to be either with God or separated from God. And that's why God was trying to teach him this lesson he said, I need you to understand the main thing is not the physical body. Man does not live by bread alone. He lives by something else. The real person you are, the real human being that you are, is a spirit. And that spirit has to be fed. And so he said, I brought you in the wilderness so that you would understand that. Your clothing did not wear out. Your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart. That as a man disciplines his son. Now this is important. This is very important. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Now, discipline is not looked at very fav favorably in our society today. Uh, you know, even discipline by parents. It's not looked at very favorably. It's looked at, the Bible says if a person doesn't discipline his child that he actually hates his child. But the world will tell you if you discipline your child, you hate your child. 
Actually, discipline is something that, that we do because we know the result that it's producing. And that's the same thing that he's explaining here about this process. He said, I brought you in the wilderness. I fed you with manna. You wore the same pair of clothes. Lots of things were going on. And he said it was a form of discipline. But he's talking like everybody knows this as true, even though everybody doesn't know it today. Maybe they knew it back then. But he said, but as you know, good parents discipline their children. And so in the same way as your heavenly father, I'm going to discipline you. And it's going to produce a result in you. It's going to produce something good in you. So know in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord, your God, disciplines you. Let's keep looking at that idea. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wonderful passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Everybody say weight. weight. Okay. And sin. Everybody say sin. sin. Which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love this passage. I, got, I saw this passage as a young man and I understood what it was saying. He says... First of all, notice, you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What is that? Well, that's all the people that have gone before you that have lived the Christian life. Moses, Abraham, Noah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jesus, Paul. He says, all these people that have gone before you, when you get weary and you get tired and you think, well, this is too hard, I don't know if I can live this way, or you start feeling sorry for yourself, or the world around you is changing, and you go, man, this, this world's going crazy. Okay, but he said, look, remember this. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, of people that have already gone before you. They've already finished their race. They've already finished their course. They had it hard, too, probably harder than you did. But they finished, and guess what? Now, they're with God, and their time here is up. It was a short time, and they lived it well, and now their time is up, and they're with God. And he said, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, people that have already done this, people that have gone before you, and they're watching you, and really, they're cheering you on. They're saying, we did it. You can do it. We did it by the power of God. We trusted in Jesus. Now you can do it. It's your turn. And you could look at it this way. We're actually all sitting in this room today because they finished their course and finished their race. In other words, had they not continued to perpetuate the gospel, then people would have not been saved, and it never would have made it to you and your family. But the reason the gospel made it to you, the reason why you've been born again, the reason why you've been saved is because somebody before you finished their course. Somebody before you lived the call of God on their life, and now you're doing it. And you're not going to be the only one to reap the benefits. Your children, your grandchildren, those people after you are going to reap the benefits. So when you're fighting to live for God, and you're fighting to be faithful, you're fighting to live the Christian life, you're not just fighting for yourself. You're fighting for generations after you, even people that you don't know, that will hear the gospel and be saved and live for God. So that's what this statement is intended to do, to remind you of that. Say, look, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and one day you're going to be part of that cloud, but right now you're here. 
He said, so because of that, let us lay aside every weight and sin. Weight and sin. He said, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us, holds on to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Very simple example, but, but what he's saying is, is that in this life, there are weights and there are sins that will try to cling to you, to slow you down, to stop you from fulfilling your race. Well, wouldn't it be easy if the path was just all laid out and everything clear uh, if you've ever ran like a 5K or anything like that, you know, and it's just, uh, it's all on asphalt and they got these little arrows turned, point this way. And every so often they've got little tables with Gatorade and people standing there handing them out to you. How many know the race of life is not like that? <laughs> it's not like one of those 5Ks. It's like while you're running, somebody comes out of the bushes with a stick, you know, and trips you. And then while you're on the ground, they stomp you a few times and then they run off and hide and Next time, and then when you get to the corner, someone switched the sign around and pointed it that way, even though you're supposed to go this way. And yeah, and that little cup of Gatorade, it was really like acid or something like that. That's life, okay? That's is nothing like those five Ks. So that's why he says this is a hard race. Now, if it was just simple, that'd be one thing, but it's not. He says it's very hard. So he said, what you need to do is you need to be in tip top shape, and you can't have any extra weight. All right, you can't have any. You can't have anything that's holding you down, slowing you down, tripping you up, because it's already hard enough. It's already difficult enough. So you're going to have to lay aside every weight and sin which clings to, a, to, which clings to you and tries to stop you from finishing your course. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I don't have to get real specific. You're a human being. You know things in your life that have tripped you up along the way. You know things in your life that you were going after God and then this... This other thing keeps coming in your way and tripping you up. Could be a lot of things. I could start listing them right now, but you probably already know what it is for you. Sometimes it's not even a sin. Sometimes it's just a weight. Netflix can be a weight. Okay? Netflix is not a sin, but it can be a weight in that it's keeping you and you're devoting more time to it than you are to God. Well, that's a weight. That's, anything like that can be a weight. That's why we fast, to lay aside weights and lay aside sin and get our life focused on our purpose so that we can fulfill our race. So he said, lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Then he gives us another tip. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, whenever you grow weary, I want you to look to Jesus because he already did this for you. And the life that he lived and the thing that he had to endure is much more difficult than what you've had to endure. So whenever you grow weary and you start feeling sorry for yourself, he said, I want you to look to Jesus and I want you to remember what he did and the price that he paid. Nobody in this room is going to die a torturous death on a cross. Praise God for that. Jesus did that. He already endured that for you. So when you grow weary and you think this life is hard, he said, I want you to look to Jesus because he's already endured it. He's already, and that's going to give you inspiration. Verse 3, consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, 
so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And I love that because the, the New Testament writers, they were hardcore. And, he, and he's talking to people that almost it sounds like they might be feeling sorry for themselves. And that's why he's reminding them. He said, look, you th you're talking like this life is hard. He said, well, you haven't resisted sin to the point yet of shedding your blood. In other words, you're still alive. You hadn't fought this thing so hard that it's killed you. So he said, you're okay. Pick yourself up and keep going. So he said, you haven't, in your struggle against sin, you haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Did you know that as a Christian, you are going to be disciplined from time to time? And that's okay. And if we are really servants of the Lord and really submitted to His Lordship, we ought to invite that in our lives, not resist it. We ought to invite it. How many of you have ever had people in your life that you've had to correct, instruct, or discipline? And boy, isn't it nice when somebody has the right mentality about that? Isn't it right when, when, isn't it good when maybe a parent or you're a boss or you have an employee or what, and you got to bring a little bit of instruction and correction in their life that's going to help them? Isn't it nice when they go, oh, yes, sir, anything you see, tell me. I want to know because I'm ready to learn and grow. Isn't that a blessing? But have you had it on the other end where they fight you tooth and nail and they start blaming, somehow it gets turned around and flipped on you? <laughs> And now they're blaming you, and it's like, man, I don't know if I want to help you anymore because every time I come to, every time I try to come help you, I leave bleeding. Because you're scratching and kicking and biting, and I'm, I'm, try, I'm like trying to hold you down and go, this is good for you. I, let me help you. That's, I'm trying to help you. It's not enjoyable to discipline someone who's fighting it the whole time, but boy, what a joy to have to bring correction to somebody that their heart is wide open. They're full of humility and they're looking for it. And they go, man, I'm inviting it. I, God, if you see anything, tell me. If there's something I'm not seeing, maybe I'm wrong about something. Maybe, I, maybe I'm deceived about something. God, show me. Help me see it. Man, that's the attitude that we want to go into fasting with. We want to go into fasting with that mentality of, God, anything in my life that's not right, anything you want to cut out, anything you want to prune, anything that, that's hindering me, holding me back, that doesn't need to be there, show me what it is, and I'll yield to it, I'll submit to it, I'll repent if I need to. I'll forgive people that I haven't forgiven. I'll do anything because I want to finish my course, and I want to finish my race, and I want my life to matter for the kingdom of God. So he said, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Man, isn't that good? So when you receive the discipline of the Lord, it's letting you know he loves you. In other words, we understand this again. If the reason I'm taking time out with you, it would just be easier to not even tell you this. Like if you had an employee like that that's giving you problems, it'd just be easier to get rid of them rather than take time with them and train them and coach and deal with that whole awkwardness and all that comes along with it. But he said, no, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. The reason I'm taking time with you is because I love you. And he chastises every son whom he receives. 
So it's important that we have this mentality that as part of the Christian life, we're going to be corrected regularly. We're going to be instructed regularly. And it's not always going to come from God himself. Because God's not going to just show up in your room and, and speak to you. How are we going to be corrected? Well, number one, through his word. Through the Word of God. When we read the Word of God, we're going to receive correction. We're going to receive instruction. We're going to receive discipline when we are corrected by the Word of God. How else? Well, through preaching, through friends, through leaders, through authorities in our life. There's lots of ways that we're going to be corrected. And a lot of times that's coming from God, and it's coming because God loves you. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have heard, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good. That's why God disciplines you. That we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's another word that we don't like a lot is that word training. But when you are a Christian, you are in training. You're not just living the blessed life. You're not just going through life saved, blessed, healed, restored. It's more than that. You're also in training to, for a purpose and for a call. So again, when we fast, that's part of our training. We're setting aside special time to God. Like if you're in the military or maybe like the National Guard, you know, they have special weekends or they call you away for training or lots of jobs, actually. I, I know in the oil field they do that. They have call you away for a special class or a special training. In, what, in a way, that's what fasting is. It's a, it's a time, a special time to be pulled aside for God for extra training, extra prayer, extra Bible reading so that you can improve. And if you do it right, You'll, you'll get things during this fast that are with you for the rest of your life. I mean, I've experienced things with God in times of fasting each year that they really carry over. It's not like I get it and lose it or get it and forget it. No, it's a, it's a moment with God where I learned something. I saw something that I didn't see before. I encountered God in a way that I hadn't, and that stays with me. So fasting is a very important time for every every believer and one of the things I'm looking for this year and I hope you're looking for and it's kind of reason why we're talking about it is I'm looking for the discipline of the Lord and when I say discipline I just mean correction little bit of tweak little bit of change little hey improve this don't do this maybe you cut this out let's not add it back because it's unnecessary and don't need it or if it does come back let's let's change it forever that we should be looking for that year after year. Why? To earn God's love? No. 
not to earn God's love. You're already loved, accepted in Christ. It's not to earn God's love. It's because you want to be more useful. You want to be more useful in your time here. You want to be a better soldier for Jesus Christ. You want to impact more lives. Maybe it's a goal just to do less damage while you're here. You know, that would be a good goal too. 1 Peter 4, 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Look at that. He said when Jesus was here, He suffered. Now most of us live life with the attitude to avoid suffering at all costs, and I don't blame you one bit. I do the same thing. I avoid suffering if I can. But, look at what he said. Christ suffered in the flesh. He's our leader. He's our goal. He suffered not for himself. He suffered for others. He said, I want you to arm yourself with the same way of thinking. In other words, this, what, what mentality did Jesus Christ come to the earth with? What mindset did he come here with? Well, you know, I have hopes and dreams for my life and I want to build a nice family and I want to build wealth and I want to retire and I want to have... Was that the mentality he came to earth with? No, that wasn't the mentality. He came with the mentality of a soldier. He came with the mentality of a servant, a slave, somebody that was saying, I'm the servant of God, I'm here to do a purpose, I'm here to perform a mission, and then I'm, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it well, and then I'm going home to be with God. That was his mindset. And in doing that, it required him to suffer. Now, I think if it had not required him to suffer, he would have preferred that path. But it did require him to suffer. And so Peter says, as a Christian, I want you to arm yourself with the same way of thinking, same mentality, same mindset. Be prepared to go through and do whatever is necessary in order to accomplish the will of God. And that sometimes may hurt. And that's why fasting is so important. That's why we fast. And fasting is not necessarily pleasant, but what it does is it puts us in a place where we can be tender towards God, we can receive humility, we can find out what's in our heart, and we can draw closer to the Lord. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You see, that's two ways you can live. You can live for God, or you can live for self. And this is what he's describing here. He says, if, you have, if you're trying to avoid suffering at all costs, then you're living in human passion. You're, you're living just to please self. But he said, I don't want you to live just for human passion. I want you to live for the will of God. John 15.1, let's look there. Another passage. And this is another thing that's going to happen during fasting. Is that we're going to be pruned. This is the process he describes in John chapter 15, verse 1. John 15, 1. It says, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. In other words, even if you are a Christian who is producing a lot of fruit and doing really well. He said there's still going to be times of pruning in your life. 
What is pruning? You know pruning. Pruning is coming. You cu- you're cutting away things that are unproductive. Cutting away pieces that are unfruitful. They serve no purpose. Even in, he says, actually, he gives more attention to the branches that produce the bit. Why? Because you, you want to keep them healthy. If you have a, if any of you do any gardening or anything, if you have a tree or a bush that's a big fruit producer, you, you give it more attention. Because you, want, you know that's the big producer. I want it to keep doing well. So you prune, you fertilize, you do, you dig, you, you bring in soil. Why? Because you want it to keep producing and you, and you want it to produce even more fruit than it already does. That's the process of pruning. So you go, well, I thought I was doing good. You're doing great, but there's still going to be pruning. There's always going to be pruning. And it's your job, listen, it's our job as Christians to go to God and ask and seek what needs to be pruned. Don't, don't just wait. Well, you know, if God wants me to know, he'll let me know. No, that is true. But let's go to God. And, and, and fasting can be used for that. Let's go to the Lord and say, God, what is it in my life that, that is not pleasing to you? What is a weight? What is a sin? What is holding me back? What needs to be pruned in my life so that I can be a better servant of, of Christ. That is our job as Christians to go before the Lord and ask those questions. Not just to wait and think, well, if God wants it out of my life, He'll let me know. No, you have a conscience for a reason. That is God letting you know in your spirit and in your heart. Also, consequences let us know. But there's nothing wrong with going to God and asking Him, Lord, what in my life needs to be pruned? What in my life needs to be changed? And again, it's not to earn the approval of the Lord. It's not, that's not the purpose. Uh, it's not to make God love you more. That's not the purpose. It's just so that you can be more fruitful and more productive. Matter of fact, he says that right here. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. In other words, you're already righteous. This isn't about righteousness. He says, you're already clean because of the gospel message. He said, but there's still a pruning process. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now keep this process in mind because the world that you live in is constantly trying to pull you out of and away from abiding in Christ. Um, And it's not just the world. It's your own flesh. It's your own sin nature as well. I I shouldn't say yours. I should say ours. (laughs) But it's our own sin nature and our own flesh that pulls us, that tries to constantly pull us away from God and this is what he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now sometimes, this is a big part of pruning you need to keep in mind. Sometimes you can't see what needs to be pruned in your own life. This is very important. Because you may be sitting here this morning thinking, yeah, everything's... Everything's fine. Everything's good. I'm on, I'm on a great track. I'm doing well. You know, there's no problem. I can't, I can't right off see anything that needs to be pruned. Maybe that's you. 
Well, you got to keep in mind that you can't always see what needs to be pruned in your own life. We have blind spots. We have spots in our life that there, there are things that are causing us issues and tripping us up. Have you ever said that? And you go, man, I just can't figure this out. I, I don't understand why this, this, and this keeps happening. Well, there is an answer. When you say, I can't understand why this, this, and this keeps happening, all you're saying is you don't have the knowledge or the information. You have a blind spot. You can't see it. But guess what? There is a reason why it's happening. And you can get that answer. You can get that reason. You can go to God and you can get it. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, we see this process. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write this, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Jesus said this, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now think right there. He said you have the reputation for being alive. In other words, Every other church Christian would look at you on the outside and go, man, that church is alive. They are full of God. They have the Spirit of God. That's an alive church. He said, you have the reputation for being alive, but that reputation doesn't match reality. And how many of you know that you could have a reputation? You could have a reputation. Oh, that person's a great Christian. That person reads the Bible. They follow God. That person's such a good person. Oh, they have such a great marriage. On and on. You can have whatever reputation you want, but that may only say that you've done a really good job of showing other people the side that you want them to see. But there's your reputation, then there's reality. There's, there's how people see you, then there's how God sees you. There's how you see yourself, then there's how God sees you. So what he's saying is you have the reputation for being alive. What's reputation? Well, that's how men see you. That's how men think about you. That's what people see about you. So your reputation with man, good. Your reputation with God, not good. He said you have the reputation with man for being alive, but he said I'm telling you that you're dead. So sometimes... The way we see ourselves, or sometimes even the way that people see us, it doesn't match reality. Because what God sees is reality. So he said, no, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And he said, so I'm telling you to wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So again, we, are, we already learned about discipline and instruction. We already learned that he disciplines those whom he loves. So don't read this as an angry God that's wanting to smash them. <laughs> the reason he's coming to them is because he loves them. The reason he's bringing this up, the reason he's revealing this to them is because he loves them. So he's saying, no, 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 guys, y'all are not living in reality. And if you keep going down that track, it's not going to end in your good. So he said, I'm here to shake you up a little bit and say, no, you're going the wrong way. We need some change. We need some repentance. We need some pruning. Why? He said, because the little bit that you have left is about to die. And so he said, I want you to wake it up. Look at verse 17. Talking to another church. He says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So you see this process all over again where we can, we can be blind to our own faults. We could be blind to our, to our own hang-ups and our own 
those, our own weights and our own sin that are holding us back. This is a, total, this is a different church in verse 17. He, he basically tells them the same thing. He says, here's what you're saying about yourself. I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. In other words, I'm doing pretty good. i got a good life. Man likes me. God likes me. Everybody likes me. This is great. He said, let me tell you a little wake-up call, and let me, let me tell you how heaven sees what's going on in your life right now. He says, no, you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, I'm not telling you that that's you this morning. I'm not telling you that you are poor, blind, pitiable, and naked. I'm just saying that was the case with them. They saw their self one way, and God came in, and, he had, and because he loved them, he had to slap them around a little bit and say, you need to wake up because the way you're seeing yourself is not reality. And here's the point. How many of you know that every human being has the tendency to see themselves and their own actions and their own motives in the best possible light? And to judge themselves in the best, most favorable, most lenient possible light? And so here's all I'm saying. Is that you may have issues in your life that when you get alone with God and you cut out the noise and you cut out the TV and you cut out the distractions and you get alone with God, you may find out that there are some things in your life that he wants to talk to you about. You may find out that there are some things in your life that he wants to deal with. And what, what a, a privilege and an honor to have the creator of the universe who even cares about you enough <clears throat> to show you those things. And real, reveal those things. And I don't know about you, but I would rather God reveal those things and deal with those things and correct me on those things in the privacy of my prayer closet than for them eventually coming out for the whole world to see, which is exactly what happens. You know that happens a lot. You see some big thing happen on the world stage, you know, some pastor, some political leader, some fallen and, and this big scandal for everybody to see. Well, God would have preferred to have that handled in the back room. God would have preferred to have that handled where nobody else even knew about it because of his, his love for that person. And I promise you, there were many attempts at that because I know God and I know how he works. There's been many attempts at that. So, here's the, the point for all of us. is just ju All I really want you to walk away with from that is just that awareness and that belief of, yeah, I've got blind spots, everybody does. And there are some things about my life that I'm probably not going to see unless God shows me. And if he reveals it to me and helps me, <clears throat> excuse me, helps me see it. And again, if he, if he does that... It's out of love. It's because, it's because he loves you.